When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gents, John Mattis here, host of the Off The Post podcast. A quick message off the top. I just want to remind people to subscribe on iTunes, to rate this podcast on iTunes, to review on iTunes. It helps me, the host, the producer, the editor of this podcast. Um, it, it makes my bosses happy and uh, moves me up the, the, the iTunes rankings. And we're also on Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you name it. So, uh, again, off the post, you just have to search that on anything and you'll find us. Including this episode, we are already nine episodes into season two. Uh, so, full, full steam ahead and uh, I promise bigger and better things. I got Kelly Rudy coming on uh, next week. Uh, someone from the Vegas Golden Knights front office in the near future. And, uh, you know, the regular, uh, the regular guests of Michael Trakos, Matthew Collar, Travis Yost, that crew... Uh, we'll continue to come on and uh, I'm, you know, it's a revolving door. Uh, and, and if you guys have any ideas for guests, feel free to message me on Twitter. I'm at Mattis John. That's M-A-T-I-S-Z-J-O-H-N. Uh, or if you're into emailing, J-M-A-T-I-S-Z at postmedia.com. All right. On to the episode. This was recorded Friday. It was with Lance Hornby of the Toronto Sun. A long time Toronto Maple Leafs beat writer. He has a new book coming out. And also, guess what? The Leafs are actually good. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Lance Hornby of the Toronto Sun, welcome to Off the Post. What is new? How you doing? Thank you for having me. Uh, the Leafs are six and one. I've got a new book out, Toronto and the Maple Leafs, and uh, things are things are good. It's very interesting down at the rink, and uh, book sales are doing well. And I think the whole city seems to be, uh, you know, uh, pumped about about the team. And hold on, are you are you are you, try, are you trying are you trying to get out of here in like in a minute or? No, 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 no. The uh, you know it's it's been. A wonderful October so far in terms of good stories to write, and uh, I've been around long enough to know that it doesn't last. And even though the Leafs uh, are second place overall now, I believe as of today, yeah. I think uh, you know I think there's going to be some rocky roads ahead. But finally, this team I think has uh, has what it takes to uh, to deal with uh, the pressures not only in the NHL of but of playing in Toronto. Yeah, you've covered the team for three decades. And None of them a Stanley Cup winner, in case anyone. Wins. No, not even close. Um, well, I guess '93 is close. But is it is this the best collection of talent that that you've seen, um, or potential? I guess would be probably a better word. I guess the big thing is when the Leafs were were considered to be strong contenders in the past, like post 1967. There wasn't much of a of a building mode to it. It, okay. it happened. Uh, I won't say by accident, but they tended to be one-year wonders. When uh, Pat Burns came in, for example, in 92-93, they hadn't made the playoffs in a couple of years. People would have been very happy that year if they just 
uh, you know, made it close or maybe won one round against Detroit. But they went within, uh, you know, within one game of yeah. going to the cup final. And that set the bar really high. And I think that made it difficult for the years after because there was all of a sudden a different expectation on the team. Same sort of thing with uh, Pat Quinn. He came in in 1998. The team uh, had missed the playoffs a couple of years. Again, people would have been happy with just, you know, some signs of a turnaround. That team also got very close to going to the Stanley Cup final, although it did uh, remain competitive for the next few years. But in each time, it was always a veteran team that always seemed yes. to be that one player away, you know, that uh, that big deal at the end. And what they wound up doing, unfortunately, was selling the farm many times uh, to get the deals for Brian Leach, for Glenn Wesley. Uh, noble efforts, and uh, Toronto teams before hadn't done that because they've been, uh, you know, for, for various reasons. But it, it really hurt the draft cupboard going through. And that led, I think, to... Uh, the, the past decade or so when they were, uh, you know, didn't have a lot of players to fall back on. Now I think, uh, you know, they've finally taken advantage of the fact that Toronto, the fan base that is, will wait for a rebuild. And uh, they've done it the right way. It's stripped it down and uh, things have gone their way. The the lottery balls fell their way for yeah. Austin Matthews. They had uh, William Nylander and Mitch Marner, two really good players. And so you don't have that mentality that they're one player you know, away. I think they may have the franchise player they need. Now they have the goaltending. All of a sudden, now I think you're uh, you're seeing a team that's prepared not just for uh, you know a, a short playoff run, but as the, the Shanna plan, as people want to call it. Yeah. Uh, it's ready for uh, four or five years of contention. Uh, and in the salary cap era, we know how difficult that is. Yeah, and I guess the underlying theme with this team is that uh, they have a, like sort of a special period here where. Uh, Matthews, Marner, and Nylander mm-hmm. are making less mm-hmm. than a million dollars. Yes. Uh, so they, there's a lot of cap flexibility, and that helped them get Patrick Marlowe. And you would think at the deadline, assuming that the, they're still one of the better teams in the league, uh, that they would pursue some missing piece element. So, you know, this doesn't happen often where everything goes according to plan, essentially, yes. right? You know, they draft, they develop. Nylander was a great pick if in mm-hmm. hindsight, right? I mean... Yeah. Uh, Matthews, obviously, they were going to pick, and, and he's turned out to be better than anyone expected. But, um, you know, Nylander might be the guy where you go, wow, they really yeah. hit on that pick. Yeah. And then, and then you know, they, they sign guys like Callie Rosen. They sign yeah. guys like Nikita Zaitsev. Like, they've gone out of their way to support um, Austin Matthews and uh, some of the veterans that are that are holdovers from, from the previous regime. Yeah. Like, they, I just feel like almost everything has, has gone well. And I know... At the start of last year, a lot of the talk was okay. You know, the easy part is done. You, you guys, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you drafted your players, the, the the easy ones, the the Austin Matthews, the Mitch Marners, where it's like you have maybe one or two um, decisions to make there, but you know, you you choose sort of the the easiest one, and and, and it works out. But the the hard part is always putting it together, like going mm-hmm. out and actually winning games. And yeah. last year they did it to an extent, but this year, seven games in, uh, they look like. Just, just a more, a more complete team. Yeah. Well, you know, I, th- I think the big thing is they don't have to rely on uh, one player. I mean, when uh, Nylander came in a couple of years ago, it, uh, under the old sort of Toronto approach, uh, you know, and I, I guess a great example of that might be Nazem Kadri. Kadri yes. came in, they hadn't had a decent first round in a while, and the pressure was squarely on him. And uh, you know, he wasn't—I don't think he was ready for it. Even though we're, <laughs> thank goodness, he's a—he's a great quote and everything. He's very comfortable in front of the cameras, but I don't think the team was comfortable with him having all this uh, attention.
attention on him because he was the considered the uh, not not the savior, but uh, he was just unique, a first rounder uh, who'd come in and made an impact. Then comes Nylander, and I I have to wonder, knowing Nylander's sort of shy uh, mm-hmm. attitude, how well he would have held up getting the attention that uh, some other first rounders have, have picked up. But uh, to your point, I mean, they have a lot of these players, and the the attention is being passed around, so you don't have the pressure on that one player. And uh, I, I guess I'll link to this whole talk about Austin Matthews being captain. Well, they don't need Austin Matthews to yeah. be captain right now. I think he's he's developing fine. He doesn't need that distraction. Uh, right now, that's taken up by the attention on the other young rookies and uh, the veterans in the room. And I think uh, you know that's another reason they're off to a decent start. Is that there isn't uh, you know there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of players who can take up all that attention and take up all those roles on the ice as well. Well, and I'm, I'm always hesitant to give teams too much credit when they come out flying out of the gate, but um, yeah, this team has looked good for the most part, at least uh, through seven games, like shift by shift. You can you can mm-hmm. see that this is a good hockey team. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're scoring these fluky mm-hmm. goals or they're they're getting outshot by a wide margin. Like they look like uh, you know a top tier team, and I think. Uh, something that's flown under the radar a bit is is the fact that before these young guys were there, guys like Tyler Bozak, James Van Riemsdyk, Nazem Kadri to an extent, they were relied, relied upon to play heavy minutes, to play uh, a lot of minutes, um, and 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 it just didn't suit it didn't suit their playing styles. It didn't suit um, how they should really fit into a team. And now they're I don't want to call them con- complementary players, but they're. They're secondary players, secondary options, at least um, in the grand scheme of things. And I think that just makes more sense to uh, to to the way that, that they fit into the NHL. Yeah. Like, Tyler Bozak shouldn't be a first-line center. And well, he w- and remember, yeah. for, like, years it was like, is it Bozak yeah, or yeah. is it Kadri? Who yeah. is the number one center? And really it didn't matter, but, yeah. but that was, like, a big topic of yeah. discussion. And now it's like they're both perfectly fine as the two and three because, you know, they're getting very similar minutes. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a credit to the rebuild and, and the way that it's all shaken out that they're able to, um, kind of hang out in the background yeah. a bit and, yeah. and, and still produce. Our colleague Steve Simmons made his career on saying Tyler Bozak was not a first line center. <laughs> so, you know, he used to put that in his Sunday notes uh, all the time, comparing him, you know, to his ice time and his shots on goal and his possession and all that all that sort of thing. But it's it's a good point. I mean, you didn't have to be a coaching genius to check the Leafs in those days. You had Tyler Bozak, uh, you know, Kadri to a certain extent uh, coming up behind him and, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Harry Lick and Dewey or whoever come and play in on the uh, on the uh, third and fourth lines. But yeah, now just... you've got it all. You've got it all uh, spread out. You have uh, a way to, I guess, uh, you know, distribute the scoring. And uh, your point is a good one. That rather than fading into the into the uh, into the past into the sunset, Bozak and Van Riemsdyk are complementary. I thought last year when Marner came along, Marner was as much a push for them as they were for Marner yes. in his in his rookie year. And you look at uh, Bozak and Van Riemsdyk now, you know, contributing offensively. Uh, you know, it's another thing, of course, what's going to happen with Van Riemsdyk at the end of the year. Maybe yes. we'll get into that later. But uh, what a contribution Bozak has made, I think, over the years. Good face-off guy, decent team guy. I think he's a uh, off the ice too. He's matured now. He's a he's a father. He's pushing uh, pushing thirty. I think last year they had to have a special cushion for him on yeah. the bench because he had a, a lower back issue. But uh, you know, I think he's really made uh, a contribution to this team. Where he and Van Riemsdyk before they were sort of Phil Kessel's sidekicks. Right. He used to sit there and giggle in the dressing room yeah. when uh, you know Kessel would run from the media and and rather than you know stepping in and say you know Phil. 
sit in your stall, talk to the media, you know, yeah. don't be uh, disappearing for a month like he did. Um, now I think they're, uh, they're, they're taking that leadership role in the room. And I think that's been, that's been missed. And, uh, you know, you've added guys like uh, Hainsey and Marlowe to that. But I think having players around who've done the Toronto thing for six or seven years, like JVR and Bozak has, that's a big boost to this team. Well, and it, one of the benefits of covering the team for as long as you have is that you see guys start out as rookies, and then like with Bozak, who's I believe the longest tenure leaf at this point. Yes, you see him now as as a thirty year old or twenty nine, whatever he is. Yes. Um, and you know he's he's a full adult now. Like you said, he has a kid. Mm-hmm. Like you sort of see him evolve as yeah. a person, yes. and then also on the ice where it's yeah. like. Uh, maybe there's certain parts of their game that, that they just polish over the years. And, and obviously... Well, with him, it's face-offs, for sure. Yeah, yeah. so, like, it, it kind of comes back to the fact that this team was so kind of bare-bones even a couple of years ago, and now it's just flush, especially up front. Like, yeah. I was thinking about it the other day, and I, I looked around the league. Like, it, it's probably the deepest forward group in the league. Yeah. yeah. You could well, you can make a few yeah. other arguments, but, but, you know, from one to nine... Yeah. I think it's probably the deepest. Well, one guy's name we have not mentioned yet, who's responsible for a lot of this, is Mike Babcock. Yeah. He, you know, he was able to, uh, uh, very demanding coach, of course, and, uh, you know, his assistants are uh, just as uh, as uh, tough as he is on this team. But I think he's been able to put together a really uh, good game plan, and I think everybody knows what their job is. Uh, you know, he... You know, those who couldn't uh, play ball went by the wayside. I'm talking about, you know, the string of fourth liners, say the Peter Hollands or people right. like that. Uh, you know, if you if you weren't on board, uh, you were gone. So I, I think that's a credit to him as well. It, it, yes, it's a deep forward. And I, I think, I, I guess maybe the, the fourth line, you know, any team. Would that's why I it. mentioned more the top yeah, nine. Is yeah, the, but uh, you know what? Look look what they've done. Eric Fair yeah. was considered to be on the, uh, on the scrap heap. Came back. He's making a push. Uh, you know, challenging Dominic Moore for ice time. And if you are if you can't do any worse than, say, Connor Brown or yeah. Sperry Kappen and, yeah. uh, or now Mitch Marner for the uh, the immediate future as your fourth-line winger, then that's still pretty good considering what everybody else has. Yeah, Connor Brown would probably be on the second or third line on most teams, I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a guy who's been, uh, you know, again, a Toronto guy, uh, rewarded for hard work, uh, OHL MVP, but uh, he was a kid, uh, you know, not picked very high, not... Highly thought of. He fought for everything he got, and there's a lot of uh, that in, in some of the other Leafs on the team. Like Kadri, I think, uh, is also mature. He obviously had some adjustment difficulties on and off the ice. Mm-hmm. Now suddenly uh, you see him kind of rounding out to be a uh, you know a full-time guy. I remember last year talking to him at the uh, at the summer skates when Matthews hadn't arrived yet. Yeah. He said, I think I could be a positive influence on Austin Matthews. I think I could teach him about it. And, you know, uh, maybe even I might have chuckled a bit inside, and certainly people said, what's this guy talking about, right. you know, with your kind of checkered career? But you know what? He's, uh, you know, he, on and off the ice, I think he's made uh, more contributions than people thought. Yeah, 30-year-old scorer. Um, with JVR, Bozak, and Komarov, do you th- who do you think fits into the future? Because all of them are uh, on expiring contracts, and let's face it, they would probably have to take a hometown discount if they want to fit here long term. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any feeling for for what the organization thinks, or maybe your own opinion on those three guys? My first opinion is that I can't believe how Toronto fans have waited so long for winter and now suddenly fixated. What are we going to do? Yeah. You know, two or three years from now, you know, 
like even last year it was uh, this, you know, how, how are they going to, you know, it was already, as soon as Matthews got to 20 or 30 goals, how are we going to afford him three or four years yeah. down the road? You know what, my, you know, so it's just a personal thing, but, you know, let let the year unfold. Nobody like enjoy knows, the moment sort of thing? Enjoy the moment. Yeah. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Injuries could pop. Last year they were blessed as a team oh, yeah. with injuries, and they got through that, and nobody uh, expected them to uh, do as well as they did. Uh, you know, at the... It is a salary cap era, though, I understand that, and certainly that puts pressure on a guy like uh, Van Riemsdyk. So to answer your question, I think uh, GVR as the potential uh, highest earner of the group uh, would be the person that maybe you think about dealing towards the end of the year, depending on where the team is, too. Let's remember, this time last year, if uh, you know everyone would have thought that uh, you know the, the Leafs will probably be out of it, they won't yeah. be in the playoffs, yeah. and Austin Matthews included uh you know no one thought they'd do as well as they did and maybe you move jvr at that time yeah. now i think he's uh you know he'd, he'd be an attractive rent a player coming to the end of his deal but people also need depth at center which would make bozak a, mm-hmm. a potential guy again if you want to get that far but uh you know they play 82 games for a reason get there first and see where they are i mean i'm not saying this team could win a cup this year but uh right now as you say they're uh, the East is a bit more uh, wide open now than maybe people thought with uh, the Rangers and Canadians falling back a bit. So you can't really take the Leafs out of the possibility of at least winning the East. Maybe whoever comes out of the East will get killed by the, the Western champ again. But, uh, you know, I would say let it roll and see what happens. But uh, JVR, I guess, uh, in the $6 million range for next year wouldn't wouldn't fit if you have yeah, to start thinking yeah. about how you're going to pay all those young kids when their uh, entry-level deals come up. If you're JVR, though, I mean... You've been with a team for a while here. You've seen the ups and downs, not to the extent of Bozak, but close. Um, and now you have this special group. Mm-hmm. I wonder if hometown discount is that is at least on his mind. I realize that that you know money yeah. is important, especially yeah. for the, these guys' future, mm-hmm. setting themselves up for the rest mm-hmm. of their life. So a couple million here, a couple million there is very important. But I mean, if the guy wants to win a cup, how many? Yeah. How many other markets are going to provide the potential of doing that at this point, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? JVR is an interesting thing. I think he's made a, uh, you know, a a commitment to the team over the years. I think the Leafs definitely got the better of that deal in the Shen trade. Yes. uh, You know. (laughs) I think that's fair to say. Yes. So (laughs) he's made an investment emotional, uh, team-wise, otherwise financially, in this town. So uh, I would think, you know, that would would cross his mind. However... I don't know if, let's say, New Jersey comes to him. New Jersey, of course, not being far from his uh, birthplace. Fair. You know, if, if they came and said, uh, if they're a contending team and said, you know what, we, uh, we'd we like you to have a, a shot here, or one of the Western teams, you know, that Stanley Cup is something you can't, uh, you know, you can't really, uh, the lure of the Cup is something you can't discount in a player's no. mind. You know, no. I mean, that's what, what kind of got Matt Sundin, who thought he was going to stay here forever. That was, the lure took him away. The lure took a, a lot of other players away. And uh, as nice as it w- would be to say, you know, I played in Toronto for X number of years. Uh, if James Van Riemsdyk, for example, says, you know, I, when I'm 50, I want to be looking at the mantle at my yes. manager Stanley Cup, then that is going to take precedence, I think. All right, before we talk about your book, I want to touch on uh, Austin Matthews and, and the player that he's already already yeah. developed into like he's a he's a special uh kind of player in the sense that there don't seem to be any glaring weaknesses uh he has this deceptive shot that's that's been talked about a lot lately because of the goals he's scoring in the early part of the season where he's using uh defensemen as screens he's he's toe dragging on almost every shot he's shooting very close to the net so that obviously increases chance of scoring um you know he's super good at at, at, at 
puck retrieval, stealing pucks. Like, you go down the list and you're like, this guy just seems um, to have such a high ceiling. And if I'm a Leafs fan, the one thing that I'm that I'm uh, especially excited about is that this guy seems like there's ice in his veins, right? It seems like there's no sort of, like, nerves. There's no um, underlying, like, uh, vulnerability. I mean, obviously, yeah. like, inside he's probably... But yeah. he's not showing yeah. anything, right? It's like yeah. it's like he could... He goes out there, scores four goals or, or you know, four yeah. points, and he and at, after he just shrugs. He's like, whatever. <laughs> he's a very interesting guy, and I, I guess maybe I'll compare it to two other players yeah, uh, sure. whom he is often compared to. That would be Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid. Now, Eichel, from what I can gather, is, uh, you know, his, obviously the start to his career, hurt a little bit by injuries. But he is, you know, um, I, I don't know the word for it. He doesn't seem to be adjusting as well uh, off the ice anyway to the attention he's getting. Uh, Connor McDavid, uh, the first year and uh, leading up to the draft, I thought he was kind of aloof. I wondered how he mm-hmm. would, uh, you know, how he would adapt. I think he's done much more, you know, since especially uh, with everything foisted upon him, the pressure, the early season injury. I, I'm really impressed by the uh, the young man he's turned out to be. But also the thing in Edmonton is he's the only game in town. There's yeah. a lot yeah. of pressure on that guy, especially after making him captain. And I guess maybe that goes back to our point about not yeah. giving Matthews that extra load if he if he doesn't need it at this stage. So, uh, you know, Matthews, you're right. I think he, uh, you know, he comes from a, a non-hockey area. He learned hockey in a, a non-traditional way, playing on the, you know, on the half rink and kind of learning how to stick handle in a full booth his father was a you know a, a college uh, pitcher he uh, you know before Matthews took up hockey as his uh, as his great uh, passion in life he was a baseball player and so his father being a pitcher would throw him all kinds of junk ball and that kind of helps with the hand eye <laughs> Matthews learned how to hit uh, uh, you know the the screwball the knuckler the, the the curve and that's what that's why he's so good at knocking pucks out of the air and all that kind of thing so I, I think uh, in this Mike Babcock in this as part of this uh, Shanna plan thing, uh, you know, and, and having the different background, playing over in uh, in Europe for a year in Switzerland and having his family over there and working under a coach such as Mark Crawford, whom I had the uh, pleasure of sharing a plane trip from Vancouver to Toronto just before Matthews was drafted. And he was telling me, everything he told me about uh, Matthews has turned out to be true. This guy can fire from anywhere. He can. He loves to use the defenseman as a screen. All the things you mentioned, he said, to watch for. And he said, if it wasn't for that few days difference in the draft, he would be in the conversation yes. with, uh, you know, with uh, McDavid uh, and Eichel in, in their draft years. So I really like how Matthews has uh, has developed. Uh, who knows what two or three more years of being the guy in Toronto will be, uh, you know, will will affect him. You could already see it. Uh, his massive scrums at mm-hmm. the uh, at the at the end of the day at practice or. Th- during a, a game. Or he seems that, a bit annoyed by it. He, well, he, he does, I, I think. But, and I know, probably like, would be too, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? You're going to eventually make a, a pretty good living at, uh, you know, $9, $10 million oh, yeah. for uh, for that. It's five minutes out of your day. So, yeah. you know, get used to it. And uh, I, I like to think on behalf of all our media colleagues, uh, we you know, we're, we're not, uh, you know, again, we only need him for a few minutes a day. And they're, they're not stupid questions. And a lot of the people in that scrum are from, the are from whatever, from Leafs TV, from the NHL network yeah. they're, you know they're they're essentially uh adding to the you know it's not a paparazzi mentality yeah. Yeah. it's their own people who often put these uh, media demands on them but again five minutes out of a 24-hour day as Doug Gilmore used to say and he was as uh, followed as any Maple Leaf was in the, in the busy busy years uh you know it's not a lot to ask of a player um do you think uh Matthews is a the surefire set captain or or do you think Morgan Riley has is at least in the conversation because yeah. before Matthews came here people were thinking 
you know, give Riley a year or two, and yeah. and, and they'll slap a C on him. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, they said that about Luke Shen too. Although I must say, I must say, <laughs> second Luke Shen say, reference. I must say, Captain Morgan has a great ring to it. It does. You, it does. Uh, <laughs> all you drinkers out there, but uh, he's a. Uh, you know what? He, he now there's a guy who's very relaxed in front of the camera. Yeah. Very good jokes and all that uh, kind of thing. And I don't know if making him captain would necessarily right. change all that uh, on him, but uh, I think. You know, I was discussing this uh, the other day with somebody. Uh, being a captain in the NHL, very, very overrated. I think, you know, it, it's great in a place like Toronto. And I used to think when I was younger, too, that, you know, how could you not want to take the job that George Armstrong or Dave Keon had or, or, or the way that, uh, you know, Doug Gilmore and Wendell Clark uh, conducted themselves. And Matt Sundin, I guess, was probably the most diplomatic leave captain of all. But, uh, you know, Sundin's role in that room was uh, enhanced behind closed doors by his lieutenants, the, the Ty Domies, the right. Gary Roberts, those guys. So I think the position of a captain... Uh, you know, is is kind of overrated, and uh, I think it's you know something the Leafs don't necessarily need at this point. You'd love to have a Jonathan Taves come in and take charge, or a Ray Bork, or you know have a Mark Messier who came off the ice and any laggard he just grab and throw against the wall and you know say sharpen up that kind of thing. That's great to have, but if that's not in Matthew's DNA, why force it on him? Right. Okay. Lance, let's talk about your book. Oh yeah, oh, we happen to have one right here. Yeah, exactly. How convenient. Yeah. Um. Toronto and the Maple Leafs, a city and its team. Tell me about it. Well, this isn't so much uh, on ice stuff. I mean, I didn't want to go where many others, including myself, have yeah. uh, have gone. Uh, you know, talking about uh, whatever 1967 ad nauseum. This is the relationship Toronto has with its fans, and this is something that goes back to uh, the Irish immigrants who came uh, in the uh, middle 1800s from the potato famine. They came over here. It's cold weather. Everything's frozen. You know, they adopted uh, a form of hurley on ice as their uh, as one of their big, uh, uh, you know, sports. Uh, they, they wanted to meld in, uh, and that's really gone right through uh, many uh, ethnic groups who've come to Toronto since then. Uh, you know, the cold winter weather will bind us together, and uh, the as the song goes, and a lot of uh, a lot of people in different backgrounds uh, from the British Isles, and then going right through World War II and the post, uh, you know, the, the post-immigration years, uh, the Italians, Portuguese, uh, you know, Asian, all the different countries who've come here, they've, uh, you know, they've looked for a way to to meld in with Toronto. And I think uh, it was uh, Mark Osborne, I think, and Peter Zezel who were telling me once they were big in the creation of the Canadian Multicultural Hockey League. And they said they would look at all the fans at Maple Leaf Garden, see all different faces from all different races. And uh, it, it made them think that Toronto is a is a different market. Now, certainly, you know, uh, haven't won a cup in, in many, many years, but I think more than, a, say, Montreal or the New York Rangers, or any other original six team, Toronto has, uh, the, the hockey team and the citizens are much, much closer uh, because of everything that happened uh, off the ice. So a, a lot of it's based on the cultural, the cultural significance thing. of the right. team and the way that Toronto's changed over the years as a city? Yes, and, uh, and another thing is this, uh, radio, uh, the medium itself, uh, sports on radio yeah. it happened a lot with uh, with Foster Hewitt. He was the first one to uh, to go on the air. He was the first one to uh, tell people about this wonderful far off place named Maple Leaf Gardens. And on cold prairie nights, you know, not to get too uh, soppy here, but uh, you know what? They were the only game in town. The Montreal Canadiens had Quebec and, and a selection yeah. of Eastern Canada. Foster Hewitt was the first guy to go across the, uh, the country that. with his uh, with his broadcast, and he was very very. Influential, I think, in uh, you know, in, in World War II, when there was a, a shortage of 
binoculars when people thought there was going to be a West Coast invasion. Yeah. He happened to mention it on the air that, you know, if you have any spare binoculars, please send them you know, to your local civil defense association. They were just inundated with all kinds of binoculars. And he had to say, okay, stop, we've got enough, thank you very much. And when they were building Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, he said, uh, if you want to find out about this, if you want to be not an investor in Maple Leaf Gardens, but want to find out more about this, remember, it's the middle of the Great Depression, everybody wanted the the Leafs to play in a new rink. He said, send a dime in an envelope and you'll get a prospectus about what this new rink. And they were just inundated with letters, snail mail and those guys. Yeah, of course. All with a little dime in there to uh, get your, to find out about uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. But during the war, the lease were so uh, the lease were so intrinsic in the uh, community fabric that uh, the government would put uh, all their major announcements about whatever this battle, that battle, you know, this shortage, that shortage, or whatever's going on. Put it on the Leaf games because they knew everybody was gathered around to listen to Foster do it. So that's the kind of effect the, that they had. So those are the type of stories that that you tell in this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I, I mean, you know, the thing too is that Toronto once upon a time was a uh, was a championship uh, city. That uh, won uh, five cups in the 40s and, of course, uh, four in the 1960s. And that brought people together. That was a big, uh, you know, all those players and all the cultural things. We had the Leaf calendars, Hockey Night in Canada, you know, uh, all the uh, all the all the famous uh, writers, broadcasters and uh, a lot of that all came out of the Leafs winning. And uh, when they haven't won for 50 years, sometimes those are the tales that are passed down from grandfather to father to sun and when you go to western canada it's quite amazing you'll see all the uh, all these kids kids like uh, your age yeah. <laughs> and have, uh, who've liked uh, you know who have uh, leaf sweaters on you think right. wait a minute you're doing that in edmonton and you've seen wayne gretzky and in calgary you've seen the stanley cup and in vancouver you've seen the sedines and yet you're that age and you still have a leaf sweater why it's because my father and my grandfather yep. listened to foster hewitt way back when well that's the thing about leafs fans is that they're i mean this isn't a scientific um, thing, but anecdotally, it seems like they travel across the country better than any other team. Maybe, maybe the Habs more because of the the yeah. French connection. So if yeah. you're if you're French in mm-hmm. in whatever province, you might yeah. be drawn to them. But you know, Leafs compared to uh, the Senator, like the Senators don't travel well in, yeah. in regards to yeah. uh, their fans yeah. spreading out. Uh, like that's, the that's Oilers, maybe a bit because yeah, they yeah. won so many cups. But but the Leafs are in in sort of the, sort of their own tier of yeah. of dominating. Uh, the, the country. Yeah, you just go. It's, you're you see it somewhat on TV, but now everywhere you go on the on the road, Matthews jerseys everywhere, right? It's kind of I guess I would compare it to the Chicago Cubs in that they've uh, yeah. they just have they're they're everywhere. And part of, in the book actually, I I talked to the president of the Cubs okay, fan interesting. club. <laughs> interesting. And I you know I was doing the story at that time the Leafs had gone 47 years at a cup. The Cubs hadn't won, of course. They were coming up on their hundredth anniversary of not winning a World Series. And I and, and uh, the gentleman said, "Okay, yeah, sounds like a good story. Go ahead." He said, "How long have the Leafs not won a cup?" I said, "47 <laughs> years." He said, "47 years? We eat that for breakfast in Chicago." <laughs> oh my God! Try going 102 years without winning, but I don't think it'll be that that's, long. Well, that's the thing, and the, you're releasing this book at a good time. A lot of people are interested in the Leafs right now for yes, obvious yes. reasons. Yes, and you know the the history is is important. To this team, you see it. You oh, see it in the way that they they salute military. Oh, the way yes. that they yeah. So they're a know. military team. They had a uh, you know the Con Smythe, their founder, yep. was a military guy. Uh, Chris Hadfield, the astronaut, his grandfather uh, was an army officer, and their first physical education. I didn't know that. Yeah, their first uh, 
guy to uh, adopt physical uh, regimens like in the army to uh, try and uh, you know improve them uh, improve them that way a, a few members of the Leafs family were lost in World War II uh, you know the, the big thing was uh, there's another story in there about the uh, a Lancaster bomber they were under radio silence over Germany and uh, they would just pass the time through the intercom the yeah. pilot did a great Foster Hewitt imitation <laughs> so he would do this wow. he would imitate uh, games uh, to the point where uh, people you know the bombardier and the co-pilot were arguing over whether the play was offside because he did such a good, uh, you know, he shoots, he scores. That's uh, amazing, kind of thing. Yeah, and that goes right up. I was lucky enough to go to Afghanistan in uh, 2008 with uh, the Leaf alumni, and uh, the sight of kids uh, with uh, flip-flops, shorts, an M16 over their shoulder, and a Daryl Siddler sweater wow. walking around the uh, basic Kandahar. That was really tells you how uh, how far the Maple Leaf reach goes. No kidding. Um, how long does this take to put together? Because one, you know, you're covering a, a wide range of topics, a wide, you know, over all these different years. And two, you're talking to all these people that are probably hard to track down or they're not alive still. Well, uh, I would say it's uh, 33% stuff I'd written already that I updated, 30%. 33% of things that uh, I'd done and hadn't written yet, I'd sort of sat around waiting for the... Kind of banked. Yeah, yeah. For the, banked. 33% is new interviews, people with like uh, John Tory, the mayor. On okay, his, cool, uh, cool. Yeah, and, and Tory has a connection going way, way back to uh, to the original gardens. Uh, and uh, who else they speak to? A guy who does funeral arrangements that are leaf-themed. Huh. You know, has, uh, you know the, as the dearly departed leaves, he's got the Hockey Night wow. Canada theme going, and Paul Bear's dressed in away oh, maple yeah. leaf sweaters. I, I took note that uh, the, the the funeral I did see yeah. had, uh, had these six guys with black morning jackets and away maple leaf sweaters because they're... Their dear friend had been uh, had been with them for for a long time. They probably saw many Saturday night games together. Sports psychologist. I talked to Gordy Stellick in the cool. early days of uh, of uh, sports radio, uh, and uh, just a, a wide uh, range of people who all have you know something about that amazing connection with the Leafs. Births, deaths, marriages, architecture, women's rights. You would be amazed at how the the Maple Leafs have sort of touched all those places. And before I, before you uh, let everyone know how they can find find the book, how they can purchase it. Let's talk about Maple Leaf Gardens for a second because I actually live like almost next door to it, mm -hmm. but now it's a Loblaws, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm i young enough to know, I never went to a game there or anything, but I, you know, I, I watched games on TV when they were playing there. But like, I, I don't really, I can't really wrap my head mm -hmm. around sort of the, the legacy, even though I walk, mm -hmm. I literally am in the building yeah. like once a week. It was the largest uh, indoor gathering place in Canada for three or four decades. Everything happened there. It wasn't just the Leafs. Politics. Uh, they had uh, war maneuvers there. They they had great boxing matches. Everybody knows about the wrestling. The Toronto Marlies. It was Canada's first multi-use building, and uh, they invented so many things. The score clock was invented there. The red light, the red goal light, separate penalty boxes. It was it was a site of major innovations in hockey, and of course everyone. Uh, identified with it as a place on Hockey Night in Canada. Yes. You know, that little, the perfect little theater, as my friend John Shannon uh, calls it. Uh, you know, you could get up and see the guy get up right behind the leaf bench and have to pass behind Pat Burns to go to the washroom. <laughs> little things like that. And, and yet the Hockey Night studio there was uh, not much bigger than the uh, the, the little place we're in uh, right now. It was, it was a magical place. And again, even though the Leafs didn't win a lot of Stanley Cups, it was uh, home to many people, and uh, I had great interviews with uh, Paul Morris, uh, of course, the voice of Maple Leaf Gardens. Showed up one day uh, for work uh, when he was there. His father was actually the superintendent, okay. but uh, one night, uh, started the 64 season, I think, the, the original uh, 
PA guy, uh, Red Barber, didn't show up for whatever reason. Paul went behind the mic. He never left it. He didn't miss a Leaf game from 63 until uh, the second game of the Air Canada Centre wow. because he went in there and wanted to see, you know, he wanted to be the, the link to yeah. the next one. But over, whatever, something like 100 years, the Maple Leafs have only had, uh, or since 1927, I guess, have only had uh, three or four guys be their PA announcer. Red Barber. Uh, Paul Morris, uh, Andy, Andy Frost, Frost, and uh, Mike Ross, the current guy. So wow. it's a long legacy. See, this is these are the type of things that you know that I have. <laughs> I don't know at all. Like your your yeah. knowledge of the Leafs is pretty extensive. Well, I jammed as much as I could into the book, so I hope <laughs> uh, I hope people enjoy it. Yeah, where uh, can where can they find it? Uh, bitter bookstores, as they say. Yeah. Uh, it's published by ECW. A wonderful okay. forward by Ron Ellis, the last Maple Leaf, uh, a member of the last Leaf Stanley Cup team, and Team Canada '72 as That's well. That's a good and, link. Uh, yeah. You can get it uh, on Amazon as well, and uh, it's got a great reception. It's kind of like my White Album, I guess you could say. Oh. I tried to uh, wow. I tried to put a little bit of everything. Uh, in there so uh, I hope uh, I hope people enjoy it as much as I uh, I did writing it okay Lance thanks for thanks for coming in and talking Leafs talking your book thanks for having me on John